There's no big John again today because he's out there working on the farm, but we're going to give you a little special uh, edition of the Punk's Opinion. You know, Sean O'Malley had came out podcast day, podcast day, my little psychic here, my buddy here. We've been doing dirty for a while now, buddy. What's it been like seven years now we've been doing this together? Six years. Six years, man. It's been a long time. Yeah. Man, you're a filthy little animal to stick with me this long. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Look, uh, you know, look, Big John's out on the farm. We're going to drop you a little quick punk's opinion. I saw something that came up with Sean O'Malley over the management stuff. And I've had one manager my whole career, but I've also seen the generations and the flips of managers as it's come through. So, you know, you've in the beginning, there was guys like Monty Cox who managed all the Militech guys. Then you had Bob Cook who managed all the, the AKA guys. And there was other managers along the way that managed like the scrap pack and, and other, you know, and other, uh, and then Uriah came along shortly after, you know, like there was, there was a, Managements that had changed or developed and opened up and gyms started having their own management things, those type of things had started coming about. But I wanted just to kind of touch on some of the stuff that he had said at the presser and, uh, it made perfect sense. But I also want to make sure that everyone understood management has changed so much from the time that I was fighting. And it's been a long, long time, guys, a long, long time. I mean, Bob Cook was my manager, started being my manager back in 1999. You know, like kind of the end of 98, 99, right when I started, right when I moved over towards, um, towards Cal- to Cal- back to California from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So, um, just wanted to give you a take. And then now the management has changed. A lot more lawyers are involved. A lot more, um, like heavy hitters are more involved. You have some, some managers or some fighters are, are, um, managed by like, um, Adi Attar. Some are managed by CAA. Some are managed by, um, you know, other, other top level, uh, management companies. And so I just wanted to, I just wanted to touch base on what he said, but Dave's going to play the clip of what he said. And then I'm going to touch a little bit on it. This one won't be as long, obviously, as the one that we did, uh, just in the past couple of weeks. If you haven't seen it, we did it, what, two weeks ago? Week and a half ago? Two weeks ago? Yep. Yeah. So if you guys haven't checked that one out, go check it out and, uh, check it. Uh, it was, it was a good little one. It was about 35 minutes. So this one won't be as long. At least I don't think it will. Uh, there's not as much really 20. to talk about, but you know, Dave will, I'm sure, pop in some questions because Dave has no idea how the sport goes. So he actually, <laughs> he actually relates to a lot of, you know, 99% of the fans out there that have no idea what really goes on. So they just <laughs> sit from their couch and tell you, I could have done it better. So that's it. That's podcast Dave. But, um, like, let's go ahead and play that part, uh, with Sean O'Malley and we'll go through and I'll have you stop it in moments of it to talk about it. Go ahead. Yep, so here's Sean O'Malley at Media Day this week um, leading up to the UFC 292. I'll play this clip for you. Here we go. I'd say make sure when you get these managers' contracts, you guys read them and look through them. Have a lawyer look through them. Don't just sign just because these guys say I can get you in the UFC. They're taking 20% of your purse. They're taking your win bonus. They're taking your fight bonus, performance bonus. I, I, I would be very, very skeptical on uh, signing their contracts. Stop. You could sign with a manager, but Stop make sure that. you have... Okay, so okay, so now I know things have changed. Um, look, I had signed twenty percent to my to my management, but my management also paid my trainers. So twenty percent was ten percent to my trainers, ten percent to my to my management. Now I am under the understanding now with some of the managers that I know in the in the in the MMA industry. Now it's twenty percent to them, and then the fighters pay the managers. Uh, the fighters pay the, their trainers separately. That's not how I did it. That's not how the guys at majority of the guys at AKA, from what I understand, did it when they, they were working with the Zinkins. And so it was a 10% to management and then a 10% to the trainers because it was a kind of a conglomerate of the two that had joined together with Javier Mendez, Bob Cook, and Dwayne Zinkin. They had joined together and the gym was 
all fighters inside that gym at the time were managed by uh, Bob Cook and Dwayne Zinkin. Now, I know that other managements don't do that. Now, you do have to understand that there there can be conversations with with the manager. Like if you don't if you don't want to if when you when you bring a manager on, you're you're vetting them. They work for you. It's not the other way around. For some reason people believe that like, oh, this guy can do this for me that they're doing me a favor. No, they're doing their job. And that's what I think where uh Sugar Sean very smart. When I was listening to him talk about this, he had wrapped his head around all of the things that fighters need to start to understand. When he said read the contract, Read the contract. If you don't know what it means, man, Google, like figure it out. Like those are things like you're signing your, your, not your life away, but you're signing a big portion of your finances away to a manager and you're allowing them to control your destiny in, not just in the sport, but like in terms of marketability. And so you've got to be very cautious um, with who you sign with, vet them, talk to them. You know, get, and there's going to be a lot of things I'm going to say about some of the stuff, but I think this is one of those things where you need to make sure that for me, I think 20% is too much for just for management. Okay. Um, now if there's also another side deal that they can get you, you can do management is for them negotiating the contracts and then, uh, sponsors is another deal. But then since there is no sponsors, you know, in the, um, in the UFC in terms of in the cage, whatever deals they can get you outside of the cage, they can get a percentage of, but that is a separate negotiated deal. And that should also be based on what the dollar amount is. I mean, I do remember there was, I've had several sponsors. This was back then. So the money I think is a little bit better now. Um, over time, it generally tends to get better. Uh, but I mean, I, I had sponsors that were paying me 25 grand just to wear the shorts inside the cage, you know, and that was it 25 grand just to wear the shorts, not a shirt, not, 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 I didn't have, we didn't have banners back then just to wear the shorts. And so those are deals that you can negotiate separately. Um, that deal for me as well was 10%. They got 10% of the sponsor and then they got, and then they got 10% of my contract, uh, for the fights that they negotiated. So they negotiated a four fight deal or a six fight deal. They got that 10% for the six fights and my trainers got the other 10%. So then realistically, I was only losing the 20%. Total, not 20% to the manager and then another percentage to the trainers. So then you're losing anywhere between 30 to 40% just to the trainers and just to the management. That's ridiculous. Now that, that last part that he had talked about was with the, was within, in regards to the bonuses. Your manager, I don't, and I've said this before, your manager shouldn't get shit for performance bonuses. A big fat goose egg. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Your manager doesn't negotiate the $50,000 uh, by your performance. They don't, they don't negotiate, they didn't negotiate that deal. Okay. That is something that Dana gives out for your performance, not for your manager's performance in the contract negotiations. Your manager shouldn't get shit. Nothing. None of it. He shouldn't get any of that, whether it's that, but I don't, I don't even know of the other bonuses, backroom bonuses, any of that shit. He shouldn't get any of that. None of it. You should be collecting. His job was to negotiate the contract for you in the UFC. He did that and he does, he did it based on the fights. So he, if you signed a three fight deal, four fight deal, six fight deal, whatever it is, he gets his 10 or 20% or whatever. So I've heard some managers up to 30%, which is just ridiculous in terms of what you guys actually make and you're giving away 30%. 
adjust to the managers. I don't even, I doubt that's even to the trainers. For some of them, I've heard it's not to the trainers. Just the manager is 30%. If your manager is taking 30%, there's got to be some sort of something else going on. Are you getting 30% and you're bringing me five or six other sponsors that are making me another $100,000? I don't even know. But I'm simply saying you should never be paying 30% for the contracted fights that you've negotiated. Okay? And, and in terms of the bonuses, none. You don't get any of that. You weren't in there fighting. You didn't go out there and fight your ass off. You didn't go out there and get fight of the night. You didn't go out there and get submission of the night. You didn't go out there and get knocked out of the night. You didn't get any of those things. I did. You know, and I did it in my training with my trainers. Now, if you want to give your trainers a percentage of that, I, I would highly recommend it. I suggest you do. Your trainers helped you get to that level of having those performances. I think if anyone deserves anything from that, it'd be your trainers. They get a little bonus because, hey, we did it together. And and to believe that you you did it by yourself in terms of, uh, it's, it's just not true. In terms of the knockout, the submission, or the performance, and the, the push, the cardio, all of those things, whatever got you paid, if you want to give your coaches some of that, I, I would highly suggest it, man. That That's what keeps your, it's sad that that's what but money keeps family together. And uh, it's, it can, it can break you up too. But in this position, I think this is one of those things to let them know you appreciate them without always just having to tell them you appreciate them. Let them know. And I, I would suggest giving them a little bit of a bonus on that. You have any questions before we move on on that, Dave? Nope, not on that part. Okay, go ahead. Let's go ahead and carry Here. it on. Here we go. Contracts. You could sign with a manager, but make sure you have stuff in there You know that's fair to you because none of, none of these contracts are fair to the fighters, and these managers know that these fighters aren't going to read it or fighters for a reason. So I would be very, I'd tell them be very, very careful with, with you know these guys that are really close to the UFC. Sure, you, I just want to go off that. You've obviously made a statement recently that MMA managers are no good, and you're going to prove that. Has a specific incident happened that makes you want to pick up this cause? Um, no, there's been a couple instances more recent. Yeah. Okay, stop here. Now I'm not fully on board with the MMA managers are no good. Um, I think there are, there are reasons to have an MMA manager. And um, I can give a couple of examples. I don't want to throw any names out, but I do know some fighters and they're people that are close to me. So I don't want to throw that out too much is that they, they did thought they had, they had actually almost two managers working for them. They went behind closed doors and Dana had sat them down and in bullshitting with them, thought they were doing them a fate, you know, like basically like, Hey, I can do this for you. I can do this for you. And at the end of the day, they signed a contract um, with the UFC and they sidestepped the manager. And at the end of the day, they were like, oh, yeah, but then I don't have to pay the management fee. Yeah, but you also got less. You got less in certain in certain areas. And what I mean by what you get paid doesn't always reflect who you're going to fight. So it's it, certain parts in your career, as you step up in competition, you want to get paid more. But if, if you're fighting, and let's say you're fighting in the 135-pound division, you need to take as much money as you can in your second contract. Your first contract, they'll give you, like, you know, you're going to be fighting the low-level guy, not low-level guys, but guys that are just coming in the UFC. Uh, same thing goes for Bellator. If you're fighting in the 135-pound division and you're fighting, that first round of, of competition is going to be kind of the, the, the guys that are just coming in, okay? Like um, Brett Johns had fought, um, had fought Danny Sabatello thinking that, okay, look, my first fight in, Danny took the fight on short notice, I should be able to get this win, didn't get that win. In certain weight classes, these guys, the guys that are right, that are not ranked in the top 15, they're fucking killers. There's tons of them out there. They're not even in the UFC. They're not even in Bellator. They're not even in one or, or PFL. 
there's guys out there at 135 pounds because it's the most stacked division in, in the sport right now. 145 is also very stacked. 155 is, of course, always stacked. Those three weight classes right there, they've always got some of the best fighters in the world that are not even in these big promotions. So your first contract, I understand, is to get you in contract. It's like that rookie contract. I look at things like a rookie contract, your first one. You do your three, four fights under a rookie contract. But after that, if you're in one of those weight classes, you need to try to get as much money as you can because no matter who you fight, they're all tough. They're all tough. Now, when you get into the, you know, even I would even say even to the 70 pounds, it's kind of in that way. It's kind of tapering off a little bit. Guys in the top 15, guys outside the top 15, guys that are not in the, in the UFC, there's still some tough ones out there, but there's not a lot of them out there. You can kind of understand the name recognition and this and that. But when you get to 85, 205, and then up into the heavyweight, there's only a handful. I'd say maybe like, you know, you got eight, you know, eight to 10 in the UFC, or maybe even a little bit more that are top 15 that are the, some of the best guys in the world. And then you've got, you know, six to eight, whatever in the UFC or in Bellator that are some of the best guys in the world, you know, maybe five to five to seven best guys in the world, other promotions, but that those weight classes are generally a little bit, um, they're not as deep. And so when you're having these negotiations, your first contract is your rookie contract. If you're in the lower weight classes, I suggest you go ahead and, and you start asking for a significant amount of money or a little bit more of an increase. If you've had good performances, you go ahead and do that because no matter who you fight, it's going to be tough fights. Why would you want to fight somebody um, for, let's just give you an example. Look, your rookie contract in the UFC is like 10 and 10. So those are guys you're going to fight for four fights, three fights, four fights. But then you get into the next contract at 135 pounds. Now I'm going to be looking to get in that next contract. They're going to look to try to get me in the top 15. They're all killers. They're all killers. So who, so why would I not try to get as much money as I possibly could for that contract? And those managers need to understand. And if your manager doesn't understand that, then you need to find yourself a new manager. Because a lot of how they negotiate the deal has to do with who you are, how you perform, what weight class you're in, who are the likely people that you may potentially be fighting in that top 15, that top 10, that top, you know, that top uh, level of uh, fighters in your weight class, because that will, that will directly reflect how much money your manager should be asking. Look, if I get to 135 pound, can you pull up 135? Can I see it at all there, Dave? You won't be able to see it. Okay. No. So if I was to pull up 135, I mean, who, who are the, can you just rate them off to me? Yeah. So who are the best guys in 135 in the UFC? Okay, so you got uh, number one, Marab, yep. Sean, Henry, Sanhagen, Pierre Yan, uh, Chito, Rob Font, Song Yudong, Dominic Cruz. Okay, so Chito. stop it, Chito. So Chito is, kind of, you know, what's he, six? Chito has six, yep. Yeah. So that's to get to six. Now, look, let's go. Okay, we go beyond that. It's Rob Font, Song Yudong. Who's behind those guys? Dom Cruz, Dom. Uh, Pedro Munoz, Umar, Ricky Simon, Jonathan Martinez, Adrian Yanez, and Chris Gutierrez. Okay, so, so you have some really good guys in that. In that, when I, that's in the top fifteen. So I need to start asking if I'm a guy after I've got through my rookie contract. Your manager should be trying to get you the most amount of money in those areas. Now you get. To, can you look at the 185 pound? Yep. Read off the 185 pound for me. Yep. At one, <clears throat> Drickus. At two, uh, Whitaker, mm -hmm. Cannonier, Vittori, Strickland, Paul Costa, Derek Brunson. Roman Delizzi, Jack Manson, Brendan Allen. Okay, so who was six was um, Brunson? Costa. Okay, who's Brunson? Brunson seven? 
Seven, yep. Okay, and then uh, Delizzi is a fucking killer. He's another guy who's just a killer. I think Brunson's kind of starting to fall off a little bit. I mean, he's getting a little bit older. The, the, it's just harder for him to get in shape and to wrestle and utilize what his big tool is for him. So those are the things. It starts to fall off at around six and seven, whereas in the 35-pound, it, it's get, those guys are still relatively young, but they're coming up. They're, they're making a march towards the top five. Whereas in, in the, uh, in the 185 pound division, a couple guys are making their march. Like Delizzi is going to make his march into that top five, top, you know, three or four probably here pretty soon. But he, but the other guys are kind of some of them, like Brunson is kind of starting to fall off a little bit. Some of the guys are falling off. Your manager should be negotiating the most amount of money for you in that 135, 145, 155, maybe up into the 170 pound division in your second contract because all those fighters are killers at that point. Let's go ahead and roll some of the more what he was saying. All right, here we go. Being careful with these guys. They're not they're not good at their jobs. They you know, they very, they'll manipulate you. Do you think it's a problem that it's like a low barrier to entry? Anyone can be an MMA manager, so they're just not necessarily skilled in the workplace, or is it that a lot of these guys through their job have just become too close to promotion and as such cannot represent the fighter as effectively as possible? A little bit of both, you know, you you meet scumbags in all okay, levels right of there. life. You could be He is right. You can meet scumbags in both. Okay, they can be everywhere. Okay, but let's go with what he was talking about. And is the whoever the uh, person was asking the question, the reporter, the analyst, or whoever he was, the media, when he asked the question, he he brought up a good point. He brought up a good. He was a it was a great question. Have these managers gotten too close to the promotion? If you are a fighter, and your manager is. <clears throat> If your manager is too friendly with whether it's Dana, whether it's, you know, the matchmakers, whether it's people within the UFC, it's I'm not really sure it's somebody you would really want to have as your manager because you have to wonder as it as the way the shift has changed. Back when I was fighting Bob Cook, he never hung out with Dana. He never hung out with Joe Silva. He never hung out with Sean Shelby. Like, you know, sure, they would meet and talk contracts. But they weren't they weren't hanging out on planes together. They weren't hanging out and gambling together. They weren't, you know, hanging out at their houses together. I would be skeptical of any manager hanging out and doing these things. And now look, some fighters are like, oh, well, he's in with them. He's in with Dana. He's in with, you know, the matchmakers. He's in with, you know, it could be it could be Bellator's guys as well. It could be like, okay. <clears throat> but those are the one th- those managers are like, hey, when their selling point to you is when their selling point to you is that I'm friends with Dana, I hang out with him, I gamble with him, um, I have dinner with him, I go to his house, um, I fly places with him. You've got to be skeptical of those managers because now some of those managers only have four or five fighters. So then that makes it a little bit more, I don't want to say different. It makes it's a different scenario. But when your manager has, you know, 60, 70, 80 fighters and are they are they leveraging you to get some of their younger guys on? That's one. Two is, are they cutting you? Are they not giving you the best offered contract because they want to get four or five of their other guys on? Whether it's Dana White's Consenter Series, whether it's the, what's the one they does with Matt Sarah? Uh, Dana White's Looking, for, looking a for a Fight. All of these things. I don't even know if that show is still around. But all that yes. stuff. You know what I mean? Like, um, is it the, the ultimate fighter? Is that something you're looking for? Are you impressed? And that's the thing. Some of these managers will reach out and be like, yeah, I'm in, like uh, fighters will say, I'm impressed because 
he's my, my, my manager, the guys vet, that I'm vetting is out there hanging out with Dana, is out there hanging out with, you know, the promoter, out there hanging out with the matchmakers. Those are not things that you should be, you shouldn't be happy about that. You should be thinking to yourself, why? Like, I need, I can't have you, you guys can't be friends and still negotiate and get me the best deal. It just, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. As much as we would like to imagine in a world, in, in a fairy tale world, it doesn't work that way. The managers and uh, promoters and matchmakers or people that do the contracts for these the organizations, they shouldn't be friends. Your manager should be, okay, look, this is business. Okay, that's sure. I can say hi. We can, you know, we, we shouldn't be hanging out though. Like I should be handling this in terms of like, I need to make sure that my contract or my fighter is being taken care of. And that's it. That's what you should be looking for in a manager. And Sean, and Sean, he's seen this and he, he's obviously speaking from experience. If your manager or someone you're talking about signing with is like, yeah, I hang out with, <clears throat> with the promoter. Yeah. I hang out with the matchmakers. Yeah. I hang out, you know, and I'm there at all these events and, you know, and they, and they're putting me up and they're doing this. That doesn't do anything for you. That doesn't do anything for you. And so those are things that I think fighters need to, need to understand. You need to find somebody. That is a little bit different um, away from away from that. Now, not all managers are bad. That's the thing. Not all of them are bad. Um, I think I think there's a lot of great managers out there, and you just got to find the one that fits best with your needs. Like I always wanted somebody who wasn't close with whatever promotion because when you do decide to pull that trigger, like I left from one promotion to the next. <clears throat> when the UFC got rid of the 155 pound division, I went to, I went and fought in Pride. When I fought in pride, that had to be, I had to get a different manager for that because you have to have different negotiations for, to job, to, to negotiate with the Japanese at that time. And so I went out and got a different manager to handle that side. And then, but I still stayed with Bob for the U.S. stuff. Fought over in pride, came back. When strike force happened, I utilized Bob to negotiate with Scott Coker and my relationship with Scott Coker. Sure. I'm extremely close with him, but during my fighting career, it was a, it was a business. There was plenty of times where Coker would call and yell directly at me on things that I said in the media, but, and, and I was fine with that. And there was things that, you know, uh, he would relay through Bob to me as well. And those are things like you want to make sure you have that separation because if things do go sour or they go south or whatever it is that, that you can, you can separate those things. You can't have a close, close friendship with them at that time when you're trying to be a fighter, because there's just too many things that you'll fall victim to. Oh, I can do this for you. I can do that for you. And you'll start to bend a little bit because it is the UFC or because it is the Bellator, because it is one, because it is a big promotion. And you've got to be very cautious and careful about that. Go ahead and let's just finish up with the Sean thing. Yeah, it's just 10 seconds Broke left. and you could have broke scumbag friends. You could have a lot of money and then those rich, there's, you know, there's high level scumbags out there. And, uh, you know, they're good at, they're, they're, they're good at being scumbags. They're good at that. Yeah, that's your clip. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. He's um, but he is right. Like some some people will go ahead and take advantage of man. Some managers will take advantage of you know hanging out with uh, the promoters, hanging out with the matchmakers, doing all these things. So if you're a young fighter, to recap on the whole thing, is there, your percentage is up to you to negotiate. Don't think like, hey, this is their set percent uh, set percentage. No, it's not. It's everything is negotiable. I'm signing you to work for me negotiate that. I don't give a shit. Don't get it caught up also in this number that it has to be 20%. No, it can be 15%. Okay. Now maybe it's harder to do the math for some of you, but guess what? 
That extra 5% goes a long way. And so start, start thinking about that. It doesn't have to be 20. Everyone's like, oh, 10, 20, 30. Why are we rounding up? That's one thing. In terms of bonuses, I think your trainers should get the bonuses on the, on the performance bonus, submission bonus, knockout bonus, whatever it is. If you want to tip your, you know, or you give, not tip, but if you want to give them a percentage of your trainers, a percentage of that, yes. Management, I don't believe should get it. Management should be getting you sponsors outside of, outside of the cage or in the cage if you're allowed to have sponsors in the cage. They get a percentage of that. Your trainers don't get a percentage of that. Your tra- your coaches and stuff don't get a percentage of your of your sponsors. So now that's where you divide the line. Like, look, you get me sponsors, I give you a percentage of that to your management. Okay, my coaches got me to the level of knockout, submission, performance of the night. I'm going to give them a percentage of that. These are all things that are negotiable. You need to sit down with whoever's trying to sign you. And if this, if one of the things that comes out of the manager's mouth is, I'm good friends with the promoter and I hang out with him at his house or I hang out with him on his plane or I hang out with him in, in Cabo, Mexico, Florida, wherever it is. Okay. Whether it's the promoter or whether it's the matchmakers, you guys have got to stay clear. And he's, he's obviously speaking from experience. <clears throat> this, they we're getting really close to a, and I'm looking, I'm not suggesting this is happening, but I'm saying though is that remember how NC2A was the, the college coaches were paying the parents to have these kids come to their college. It's you're starting to lean a little bit more towards are these managers paying to get their fighters in? And I, I'm like I said, I'm not I'm not saying they are, but it's gotten to the point where you you've gotta you've gotta like with Sean, he sounds like he's got something in the back pocket, which some people um have reached out to me and have talked to me about it and stuff. And he does have something in his back pocket. And like he said, he'll release it when the time is right. But at the end of the day, like are are the managers <clears throat> will man, managers will start I think coming. This is one of the negatives of Bellator going away. When I look at Bellator does go away, I don't I don't I'm not 100% in. I just saw a report the other day on uh on BET was doing a deal with Paramount and the whole deal, they got down to it, they came in with such a low ball offer that they shut the whole deal down. They've been negotiating for a long time. And so to think that like the PFL deal or any other people that are in this negotiation with Bellator, there's a lot that needs to happen for us to sit up here and for us, for me to sit up here and speculate. It just, it can't happen. Like, no, there's these deals. Don't these deals just don't happen overnight. That's one. Two is the the little tiny nuances of it all. Like just the little tiny things. Well, I want you to pay for this. I want you to pay for that. No. And some of them are, are um, deal breakers for whether it's one side or the other side and so um look at the end of the day everyone will just we'll just have to wait and see on how that all happens but to say that this deal is gonna um happen i mean like i wouldn't be convinced until the end of the day but this is the reason why bellator is or this is the reason why it going away creates more of a leverage for managers or not managers but promotion whether the ufc to start to leverage the managers against their fighters and so Sean doing what Sean's doing, I think he's, he's taking steps to, to secure his best interest. Whereas if Bellator goes away and you have PFL and you have one, those are the two major, uh, the other two major promotions. Now that, that the UFC understands that they can start leveraging a lot more. Of these managers going like, Hey man, your guy's gonna have to take less. You want these guys to get paid more. You want more promotions. Joe, Joe Rogan has said it. 
Jimmy Smith has said it. Other people that have been involved, like myself, and Big John has said it as well, is all of us that want the fighters to make more money, the way for them to make more money is have more options. You want to, it's, it's really comes down to making sure that I can leverage this promotion against this promotion. And I had talked to managers this week and I had legit just said, why are we, why are not, why are fighters not leaving the UFC when they get a little bit of a name, they leave, they go to another promotion. If all these other promotions are not superior, which I think they're all, they're all equally as good in terms of like you have top three or top five fighters, five, six, that can all compete with each other. Why don't they just go to another promotion like how Anthony Johnson did become Anthony didn't become their champion, but he had great knockouts over there and then come back and make double the amount of money he was making, maybe even triple the amount of money. Cause I had worked with Anthony from the time he had came into his career. But on top of that, he had asked me to manage him during that time when he was about to leave um, the world series of fighting and go back to the UFC. And I had told him, no, I just didn't, I did was, there was just no way that I was, I felt comfortable managing him walking him into the UFC and having a sit down conversation with Joe Silva and having a sit down conversation with Dana White about Anthony Johnson. It just wasn't a, it wasn't something that I had put myself into in terms of, I didn't want to put myself in that position. I had had to do, <clears throat> had conversations with Joe Silva plenty of times while cornering and Anthony not making the weight. And Joe came directly to me because he knew that I was the one that was kind of trying to help him as much as possible in his direct trajectory of his career. And so Joe had came in and just tore me a new asshole, but it was like basically about AJ and, uh, you know, and there was a lot, and that was a good thing about Joe is after Joe cooled down, he was easier to talk to, but, uh, you had to let him say what hit, what was on his mind. And then you were able to have a conversation with Joe Silva thinks <clears throat> Joe Silva is one of the, he, he was, he was nasty. He could be nasty, but he was, he was a straight shooter. He let you know exactly what was on his mind. He did everything uh, the right way, I believe. And so I just look at these fighters need to separate their percentage, vet their, vet their management, separate what their percentage is for bonus bonuses, separate their percentage for what sponsors are, and then move forward and see how it goes. And look, your fight, your, your management can be fired at any time and you can hire a new one at any time. So don't forget that. Now they still get paid for the contract they negotiated though. So if you're three fights, if you, they, are, they signed you to a six fight deal and you're only two fights in, you still owe them for those four other fights to pay them out. Some, and, and they're going to get paid. They're going to get paid somehow, some way. Hi, right, Dave. What do you got? I feel like you have, uh, yep. Tuto D, Tuto Dumb questions, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just going to take a, a timestamp real quick so that I know what, where I'm at with talking about this. But, um, the question I had was, um, for you that we haven't really touched on is 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 a is there such a drastic change in the sport since since having a manager was a big deal you know and then ufc brought in um you know sponsors that were kind of mandatory sponsors where fighters could not no longer have and ufc is obviously the biggest promotion and then outside of the ufc you can have other sponsors but there's kind of like um there's opportunities now to kind of have a lot of these bigger these bigger sponsors. Mm -hmm. Is is that kind of eliminating the need? Um, because one of the things I saw when the Reebok deal came around was that um, Uriah Faber used to have his own MMA management company, and um, and you started seeing people. Joseph Benavides was famous for coming out in the media and saying that he he basically left that management company because um, he didn't need it anymore since he didn't he, you know he couldn't 
he couldn't get sponsors quote unquote get sponsors like outs, mm-hmm. outside like for walking to the cage and all that obviously outside of this the uh cage he can do whatever he wants mm-hmm. but you know fight week you have to wear reebok or venom now um and then in the cage you can't you know you can't have a banner you can't have your shorts and all that yeah, that might have been because they train together. They were both out of Alpha Male, and it's Uriah's gym that Uriah's like, hey, if you guys are managed under me, I'll negotiate your management. I'll take a less percentage. I would imagine the percentage in terms of that was probably like anywhere between 7 to 12 or 15% or 10%, whatever it was. But he said, look, what I will do, though, is I will get you sponsors. So anyone that came to Uriah <clears throat> to sponsor him, he probably turned around and flipped it and tried to sponsor his other guys. That's That's a good manager. He's trying to utilize his connections from him being a top level fighter to get his other guys sponsors as well. But then when the Reebok deal and the Venom deal came in with the Reebok at the time, got rid of that. Everyone understood that these sponsors, they, they all fled. Once Reebok came in, all these sponsors that were already at the time paying the UFC 50 to a hundred thousand dollars just to even sponsor fighters in the cage. They went from when I was fighting, it was like they, they didn't have to worry about it. People were just sponsoring the fighters directly. And then the UFC went about and said, look, all your sponsors need to be uh, sent to us and we need to see it. We need to see who they are. We need to call them. We need to contact them. Make sure that we have, that we have the ability or the rights to use your logo inside the cage on these fighters. So they started going that way and that turned into, okay, well, now that you're, we know that we have your approval to use our logo in your cage. It's going to cost you now to put your, your logo on these fighters in our cage when and then on the side note what they would do is they would go to them and say hey if you pay us directly you don't even have to sponsor those fighters we'll just put your name inside the cage we'll put you on the canvas we'll put you on the 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 padding on inside inside the cage you're going to be there for every fight not just one that's what the ufc was doing they got all the contact information and they went around the fighters and went right to their sponsors and hit them up directly for cash. And they, and they were saying, Hey, we'll give you pay us 50, a hundred, 200, $300,000. And we'll put you inside our, inside our cage for a certain amount of shows, maybe the one show, whatever it was. So they were, they were skirting around it and utilizing and using all those contacts from the fighters to get themselves more money. And for Uriah, I could probably see like, and at the time, those sponsors all just bounced out. They're like, look, there's no money to be yeah. made now. They're done. They're like, we left. I had friends that had MMA brands. They had, a, they, they had clothing lines. But what they did was they also created MMA stuff. They stopped doing the MMA stuff and just kept doing the skate stuff and the surf stuff and the, you know, and whatever it is and, and all the other jiu-jitsu stuff. They, they did all that stuff, but they didn't create any more MMA stuff. They're like, yeah, we're good. We're done. We're not trying yeah. to chase those anymore. And so Uri got out probably right at the right time. He understood. And I'm sure that there was like, hey, let me leave. Go get another manager. Go do whatever it is. There's honestly, there was really probably no need for Benavides to even have a manager. A lot of these guys, yeah. if you understand the sport, if you understand what you're getting yourself into, you know how to negotiate a contract. There's not much room that you can get out of them. You're not going to get much. They have their standard. Unless you, until you get up to the top one and two and then the champion, basically, those guys, there's no room for negotiation. They have, it's almost like a, it's a it's a graph. They've got a graph and says, okay, this is where you're going to be if you're ranked in the top five or when it's time to negotiate your contract. Okay, now we're going to put yeah. you here. If you're if it's time to negotiate your contract and you're number one, you're the number one seed getting into the title fight, then they, they negotiate two contracts. One, if you win the title, and this is how much more money you're going to get paid, you know, with pay-per-view points and all this other stuff. 
and there's one of you lose in the title fight, and we're going to put you here, but we're still going to increase you a significant amount of money. So there's different ways to negotiate these contracts. Just fighters don't seem to understand that. All they see, and I've said this for the longest time, all they see is UFC being on TV. I want to be famous. And that is the yeah. biggest way of getting into this. And I've given credit to Eddie Alvarez, the way he's handled his career. That guy has made so much damn money. People don't even realize how much damn money he's made. He has crushed it crushed it he was making money in elite xc he's making money in bulldog he's making money in all these in bellator he's making money in all these places you know and i gotta be honest man like he did it right he did it right not having a loyalty to one promotion he did it right and he made the most amount of money because of that and then when he went to, when he did go to the ufc they paid him a shit ton of money there too because he had already become champion almost everywhere he had went and then when they went to one one paid him an, an astronomical amount of money. I don't want to say it, but they pay. He, he told me, and I'm like, geez, geez, why'd you leave? He's like, well, you know, I wanted, uh, is I, he, I think for him, it was more about the travel. Every time he had to travel to overseas so far to fight every single time, he's like, look, yeah. it's, it's taxing, man. It's taxing, especially at my age as I'm getting older. It's not as fun as it was when I was 26, 25. Yeah. And I got, I understood. I understood. I never wanted to fight out of San Jose because I didn't have to go anywhere. It, it starts to tax on you. What else you got, Dave? Um, I think that's really it on the management thing. Um, you know, I get, I guess now, like, um, is there any advice? Like, if somebody, like, do you have advice? I mean, you kind of talked about contracts and all that, mm -hmm. but if somebody doesn't ha want to have a manager, they just want to keep all the money they can. Do you have any advice mm -hmm. for kind of hand managing themselves? I mean, look. <laughs> There's a couple things I could, the number one thing is you guys, and this is my number one thing for fighters in general, period, for athletes, not even just fighters, athletes. Um, <clears throat> I have a buddy who plays, he plays in the NFL. This guy is, he just signed his second contract. So he got out of his rookie contract, signed his second contract. He's so worried about certain women, like a woman in his life. And I'm like, the right one will come. Don't get distracted with all this shit because you, he hasn't been playing very well in the last two years, but I'm surprised that he got a second contract. And, and uh, I've talked to him about it. He's hit me up and like, Hey man, like, you know, I said, you've got to find somebody, all these men that are successful, the ones that have been, you notice their, their female stays out of the spotlight that they're not, their female is not involved in the spotlight. You know, they're there for their man. And that's about it. They're, they're not on social media you know, hyping everything up. They're not out there taking selfie asses. You know, they're doing their thing. They're, 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 who, <clears throat> your success, I believe, is directly related to what type of female you have next to you by your side. And that, that is one of the stark thing differences between like, you see some of these, some of these fighters, man, just running around with an Instagram model. And it's like, why? Like, so you have eye candy. Do you think it's going to be there? Maybe, maybe she'll stick it out. Maybe she will. But every when I look at those type of situations, I look at that's not a good business decision because every time you guys have an argument, you're wondering if someone in obviously someone's in her DMs hitting her up, you know, at any moment she'll turn around and, and, and run off and she could. I'm not saying she would, but she could. And that's something that plays in fighters minds. And, and within this sport, this is the hurt business. You need to make sure you are 100 percent focused on what's in front of you. That's it. 
you can't be focused on anything else and finding someone who is by your side and you have no, you have no concerns about whatsoever of doing anything else or being, you know, out there at the club at night, doing whatever it is. I don't care. Those are the things like that type of thing is, I think what it will drive fighters success. Um, in terms of contracts and negotiations, I've already laid that out. Vet your management and make sure it's the one that you want. Negotiations come on in terms of your, in terms of the, the percentage taken. Um, <clears throat> negotiations come in terms of the percentage taken also for sponsors. And no, they should never get any of the, the, the knockout bonus, percentage bonus, submission bonus, any of that stuff. Any of your performance bonuses, they shouldn't get a percentage of. Your trainers should get a percentage of that. And be very weary of managers that one of their first things they say is Dana White is my friend. I hang out with him. We go, I go to his, I go places with him or I hang out with his family. And those are things to be very weary of because like that Sean was saying, they are too close to the promotion or too close to the promoter. Then you got to start wondering, do they have your best interest at heart? That's what you have to wonder. So the, those are all things to keep an eye out. Now I'm not saying that those, those managers that are hanging out at their house or on their plane or doing all this, they're, that they're not good managers. I think a lot of them are fantastic managers. Okay. I think a lot of them are. Um, and I know a lot of them personally. I think that they are fantastic people and good managers, but you just, there's new managers coming in. There's bigger companies coming in that are trying to get part of this. Be cautious and careful of those managers that say like, I know him. I done business with him. I do business deals with him. Um, I may, you know, I've, I've sent him this many fighters. Be very cautious of all those things. So, um, you know, it's got to feel good for you as a, as a fighter. That's really what it comes down to. Let me ask you this then. Um, uh, this, this is a question that might be interesting. It go, go off of, um, is it good then? Cause you know, Sean has a good relationship with the UFC, right? Because he kind of plays ball, right? When mm -hmm. it comes to the character on screen and kind of helping promote the fight and all that, right? We just had Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul, where Jake was out publicly saying he was pissed that Nate wasn't promoting the fight the way he maybe thought he would. Um, is it good for fighters then to ha to to basically um, close that bridge of, of the relationship with the promotion themselves and have that relationship on their own and and kind of so that like you know Sean probably has a close enough relationship with Dana where he can go straight to Dana and say hey hey you scratch my back I'll scratch yours on whatever whatever the situation is is that something that you would say is a good is good to kind of have as a fighter. Look, I think it is good to have it as a fighter, but I also think it can be bad. Like I said, the promoter at times, and it's a revolving door. We've seen fighters come in, think they have a good relationship with Dana. They do. until so you start, if you have a loss or two, then it's not as good of a relationship anymore. Your phone calls don't get picked up as much. That's the way this business works. And so in terms of Sean, look, Sean, he caught on on the contender series. It had nothing to do with Sean, Sean could market it himself. Mark, Sean does a great job on his social media, on his podcast. He does a great job of marketing himself. Having a manager, a manager is not helping to market him or should be, but isn't, you know I mean? He's doing it all himself. He's, I would say he's like one step down from another YouTube star. That's really what Sean is. And so he's doing it himself. Now, if it wasn't the other way around, like you have Aljo, Aljo's a fantastic fighter amazing fighter but he's not as marketable and this is what we mean by marketable as he's not as marketable as sean so having a relationship with dana yeah it's great but when it comes to the contract negotiations i'm not 100 percent sold you don't need a manager 
I think you need someone who is not close with them though. Somebody who can also draw the line. And that's where well, that's what we're talking about. Now as a fighter, you tend to think you are worth more than you really are. And then the contract negotiations don't ever really go anywhere. You want this. And they're like, we ain't doing that. Now you have to, now as a fighter, most fighters get stuck in their way. Sean seems like he's got it figured out. Like, look, okay, if you're not going to do that, then give me another option. Or this is my second option. You can't go to the promotion and say, hey, this is, um, hey, this is my, uh, this is what I want. Take it or leave it. They'll be like, screw you. You need to come into the, come with them with another option. Look, this is what I'm looking for. Okay. How, how far are we from here? And they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not close at all. Okay. Well, this is my second option. Okay. And he comes in with a second backup contract and says, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. But if I become champion, then it goes to this contract. You need to have two and three options when you approach them. If you're going to manage yourself and you also have to understand where you're at in the pecking order in terms of in rankings. If I'm ranked in, in his division, which is the toughest division in the damn world, okay, right now in the, in the sport, he needs to be thinking. What he did was brilliant. He got through his contender series contract, fought all the easy guys he could possibly fight, made as much money as he possibly could in those shitty contracts that they're in coming out of the contender series. And then once he signed a big lucrative contract, okay, I'll fight Peter Young. Brilliant. And he had nothing to lose. Had he lost to Peter Young, he should have lost. That's what everyone would have said. That's the point of that's the point of negotiating a bigger deal in that second contract. Because if you lose, if he would have lost, to, if he would have, um, if he would have negotiated a shittier deal, like say less money, and they would have still put him against Peter Yawn. You're still fighting killers, even if it wasn't Peter Yawn. It was somebody down the chain a little bit more, okay, like one or two spots. And at the time, it was Marab, like Marab being a little bit uh, ranked lower. If it was going to be Marab. That's a, he's a killer. You've got to understand. I need to get as much money as I possibly can for the level and the quality of opponents that I'm fighting, especially in the 135 pound division. Sean O'Malley played it fucking brilliant. He's getting paid really well. He knows how marketable he is. He doesn't need a manager, but I would always have someone look over the contract. I always see if I missed something when I was, when, when you read it. Also, just take a look at it, man. Just understand that everything is negotiable. Let's have a, don't shut it down. Like, yeah, they're, they're fucking me. They're screwing me. They don't, they don't respect me. No, that's not how business is done. They respect you. They want you. Dana White, it's like clockwork. Every single time it comes to contract time, the guy's not a draw. He doesn't, he doesn't put fans in the seat. No one tunes in to watch him. He's shit. Oh, he, his last performance went decision. Like it's always that when it's contract time, it's the same, it's the same thing in the NFL. It's the same thing in the NBA. They always say that this guy hasn't won a championship or this guy hasn't. No, man, they're doing that to try to, to get fans to think you're not as good as you really are and to get make make you believe you're not as good as you really are. Sean didn't deal with that. Sean understood. I'm good. I bring eyeballs to this uh, arena, to this stage. I'm going to get the best and the maximum amount I possibly can. He's got his head wrapped around him, man. I appreciate it. I actually admire looking at I, when I was listening to his content, the way he he spoke. It let me know the way how calm he was and the way he was talking about it. That he's thought about this for a long time and how to handle himself. And he's got that. And I also like that he's got this thing on the side with whoever was managing before who I know, but it's, you just, he's got this thing. We're like, no, I'm going to let it all come about. And when the time comes, if I need to use it, I'll utilize it. And it's brilliant. He's, he's holding that in his back pocket. Most fighters would spout off at any moment when things didn't go their way and just shoot these guys in the foot when there's no need to. Just keep it between you and whoever. And when the time comes, if you ever need to utilize it, 
Have it there in your back pocket to pull it out. That's it. That's the trump card. Okay, I got this, man. You're a scumbag. You know, if that's the way he feels. So, anyways. But hey, this this, this was a great little conversation, Dave. I'm glad I had you along for the ride, buddy. (laughs) Six, seven years in the making, my man. (laughs) All right, guys. Hey, that's going to wrap us up for another, another edition of Punk's Opinion. And we will see you.